You're listening to Girovagando, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Giro d'Italia, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Today, we are in Canale. To be honest, uh, compared to last year, it's, uh, it's much better. The, I'm not uh, too nervous like last year. Last year uh, I had the start in Alba and at my first year, to be honest, I was really, really nervous. This year is, is, yeah, much better, so we will see. I'm just looking at the weather and I'm worried about your vineyards mainly. Um, how, is, how are the vines at the moment? Oh, the, at the moment is, uh, is all okay. Uh, yeah, this, uh, this rain is, uh, yeah, I think is, is good for the, for the vineyard. It's, uh, it's a good moment for, uh, for that. Yeah, complicated things, but uh, it's for, for everyone the same. Then uh, we will see how it's going from the start and may, maybe in final it's going to be better. And uh, we will see. Hello, my name's Richard Moore. I'm here in a quite extraordinary location, and we'll get to that in a moment, with uh, Daniele uh, Frappuccino, <laughs> as he's now known. Daniele, well what, did, what did we open with there? We opened, Rich, well, with a very rainy scene at the start this morning in Biela, torrential rain, and we heard from a local boy, Matteo Sobrero, becoming a bit of a, a friend of the podcast. Local boy because he's from a place called Montelupo Albese, and you heard me there talking to him, expressing my concern really for his vineyards because, well, I know Matteo and I also know his property um, where he is a winemaker, not just a, the, you know the son of a winemaker, but um, he also is very much a participant in the whole process. And um, I've been on holiday a couple of times just up the road, a kilometre or two. I thought you you've been on holiday with him. No, just a kilometre or two up <laughs> well, the road from his winery. The winery, if you if you are interested, it's um, where his dad gives his name to the wine in the winery, Giorgio Sor- Sobrero. And, and we heard a, a bit from dolcetto. Peter Sagan as well. He's not a winemaker, is he? No, I can't imagine Peter Sagan making wine, can you? No, um, but I can't imagine many people making wine. Many, no. Most people don't make wine, no, in fact. There's, there's a lot of wine content in this We are a, a basic 14% alcohol podcast. We are, we? 60% <laughs> accuracy, 14% alcohol. And then um, we're at a winery now, aren't we? So, but we, the place we are now uh, is, if anybody's seen the trip, which you'll hate because it's it's got two well-known British comedians uh, starring in it, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon, um, they come to places like this. I can imagine you and Matteo on a <laughs> some kind of equivalent of a trip here, sipping your wine. Well, I always some. get confused. Hang on. Matteo is Filippo Ganna's sister's boyfriend. 
That's oh, correct. I don't know if I even follow that. That's correct. More importantly and more pertinently, um, Matteo Sobrero was also in your 18 list of 18 riders. Based who, on who, local knowledge, based on the idea that it was going to be treacherous in the finale. And I thought local knowledge might be quite important. He's not really a sprinter. He's not a, he's not a quick guy. But I thought if the race broke up, also, he's a winemaker. Also, uh, Beppe Martinelli, the Astana director sportif, has been adamant about the fact that, yes, his team's got a support Vlasov, their captain, but guys like Sobrero, Fellini have to look for their own opportunities as well. Did we even mention that he writes for Astana? No. (laughs) Might have forgotten. But I thought that today might be, I mean, that was a a big I could tell when you put it to him, uh, I could tell from his reaction that it was a mistake to include him in their 18. Yeah, it was one of those ones where he would not have backed himself in in a list of 18. It was the you're talking rubbish sort of expression. Well, I forgot to mention, Daniel, um, your your hit rate last night in last night's podcast because you got 14 out of 18 forgot last night which is very impressive astounding today 8 out of 18 yeah, but D- a difficult I'm one to call today. A, quite a high average, 12, 14, 8 I think I've gone that is, today was a hard stage to call and um, because we didn't really know what to expect and the rain added another another variable to, to the mix and uh, it was quite interesting yesterday was a, a really pretty dull stage let's be honest um, today was more interesting we spoke to Matt White at the finish we'll hear from him a bit later on and he I think he'd had a pretty dull day in the car yesterday is this the official tale of the tab can I intervene at this point about the today. stage or do I have to save myself for you later can interrupt at any point this is it's, the tale of the tapper is less slightly less structured um, I've noticed. Um, it, well, it was a bit of a, a giant killing act, wasn't it? It always is when the, when the peloton gets its gets it wrong, gets its calculations wrong, or is simply not fast enough, not strong enough to chase down uh, a breakaway. And today, you know, it reminded me a little bit of a few weeks ago. There were a couple of stages at the Tour of the Basque Country where you thought that riders were going to be caught and they weren't caught, or groups were going to be caught and they weren't. Why was that? It was because there weren't enough big rulers in the field. And I thought that today, on those climbs in the Monferrato and Lange Hills, as the race came in towards Alba, a lot of the sort of big engines were, were shed, really. And there weren't that many teams. Once Bora had gone, um, or they'd certainly done a lot of work, you had a few people from teams like Cofidis who were sort UAE of chi- chipping in, but there was no one there who did, you know, what the Italians call the tirata di collo sort of you know ringing the neck of the peloton and yet it was a hundred man group that came into the finish behind the stage winner Taco van der Horn I mean the stage started in Biela as you said Daniel to Canali 190 kilometres some some category of four climbs but they were quite difficult especially in the conditions we drove the last 10 kilometres and remarked upon how 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 hard the climbs were uh, and were, very, the roads were pretty narrow yeah as they well. were narrow and it was twisty and quite technical the break went up the road early doors Vincenzo Albanese in the King of the Mountains jersey um, he'd been up the road the previous day as well his Eolo teammate Samuele Rivi uh, Taco van der Horn was there from Antermarche La- Lars van den Berg from Groupama FTG Samuele Zoccarato from uh, Bardiani, Alexi Gujar from AG2R, and uh, Simon Pello, who we saw a lot last year up the road from Androni Giocattoli. Um, he was in a lot of breaks last year. He was there again today. Andre Ponomar, the youngest rider in the race, 18 years old, another Androni rider. He bridged across to that group, um, so there was there were eight clear. Um, and Ponomar, 
Um, there's a, a little link there with our Kilometer Zero that I released earlier. Giuseppe Acquadro, the Baron of Biella, we, we called him this morning, the super agent who hails from Biella. Um, he counts Ponomar among his clients, but what a, what an opportunity we all missed today with Pon- Ponomar not getting the winning canale. The Ponomar canale, Ponomar canal would have been fantastic, wouldn't it? It would, yeah. Um on those tough roads, on those tough climbs, uh, some of those riders were shed, and we were left with Vanderhorn and uh, Pillow at the front. And rather surprisingly, Vanderhorn attacked Pillow um, about nine kilometres to go on a little climb. That looked like a surprising move because they had appeared to be working well together, but in the end, it proved to be a masterstroke. Meanwhile, behind Giulio Ciccone and Tony Gallopin had escaped from the bunch, and they were chasing. And at one point, it looked like they were gaining pretty fast, but they never did. And uh, they were swallowed up by the bunch. Uh, the Having put in so much effort, Bora Hansgrohe, to controlling the race and bringing it all back for Peter Sagan, they then seemed to disappear in the closing stages, as you said, Daniel. And, uh, well, van der Horn was left alone out front and it, it became clear that he had a very good chance of staying clear and stay clear he did. And, uh, no doubt, into Marche or Art hosting his victory with some Prosecco, some bubbly, some fizz tonight. And Rich, what are we doing? We've got some bollicine, some um, bubbles um, that we're enjoying. And I think we've been joined by the man responsible, the producer of the bubbles, uh, Roberto, who is the... Roberto. Who is the proprietor, the owner of the Prime Alture uh, Resort. Can you tell? Welcome welcome to the cycling podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Roberto, what are we drinking here? Uh, Metodo Classico, which is not Prosecco. So, classic method. Oh, Daniel, did you call it Prosecco? No, 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 I didn't. I heard Prosecco. I no, we said what. that <laughs> one, maybe some of the cyclists, the poor cyclists are drinking Prosecco tonight, where we are drinking something much better. No, this is um, Metodo Classico, 36 months on on the east with the Pinot Noir. It's 100% Pinot Noir. It's a red grape, this, Rich. What are you Gra- drinking? It's a Blanc de Noir. I mean, blackberry making white wine, Okay. And we, the method is the same of champagne, we cannot call like that, but uh, you put the wine in a bottles and you add the yeast and, uh, and the sugar and you close it and you leave it for three years. And the uh, uh, eat, yeast eating the sugar, making natural bubble. This is the difference. The Prosecco goes in a big tank with the sugar, uh, yeast and gas like for the beer and ready in six months. This is ready in three years, so make make a little bit different. <laughs> so it, it you have to wait. Uh, rewards patience, but this is a Pinot Noir. Roberto's already told us, Rich, because we've already discussed the wine for this evening. We're going to be drinking Pinot Noir over yes, dinner. We hope we, we are in the area of Pinot Noir. Okay, we here in Ultrapo, as uh, you we are on a forty fifth parallel. That by uh, by convention, is the parallel of the wine because if you go south, you have a tropical, and it's good for banana and ananas, <laughs> not for wine. Okay, now uh, even north is better. Before not, but in England now, it's fantastic sparkling wine as well. Uh, since 200 before Jesus Christ, we have the wine yard here, and we are the third area in the world producing Pinot Noir, 3,800 hectares of Pinot Noir, and there are two versions. One sparkling white, Blanc de Noir, and the other one red, which goes in oak for one year and, and different. You will have an occasion to taste all of this. 
Roberto, we've talked a lot about wine so far in the Giro. We've, we've only had three days and we've mainly talked about wine, so we better talk about some cycling. <laughs> we better talk about some cycling. <laughs> Anything to say about the stage today? Okay, okay, but I'm, I'm sorry. You, you, you. <laughs> we'll we'll you, take care of we that. Have the Giro d'Italia, which is coming close, uh, the 27th. Well, that, so. That's why we're here. Ah, okay, 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 okay. You wouldn't know it, but that's why we're here. <laughs> That is why we're here. But we don't produce bike. That's the problem. So we produce wine. That's what we can offer. But we can offer nice view, uh, nice day. And, and so. some excellent food later as well, yeah, we hope. as well. Can't wait. We're looking forward to it. You, you yeah, just c- c- carry on doing what you're doing very well. Thank you. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you very much. We look forward to dinner. Well, back to the stage, Daniel, after that interlude. Um, I wonder if you can get this uh, in uh, Antemarche. What do you think? <laughs> well, we've gone from Lombardy. We've been talking about Lombardy cuisine. I'm absolutely staggered that we haven't come up with some kind of good pun um, based on Taco van der Horns. I know, I was searching for that myself. Um, well, I mean, it's Antemarche's first win of the season of any description and a big one at that a, a huge win for them I think there's been a lot of us um, scratching our heads they took over CCC's license didn't they and they've had a sort of air of CCC about them uh, this year um, of course lost Guillaume Martin who well yeah. they lost him two years ago yeah yeah but um, since since he's left they've they've struggled really for a, for an identity and I suppose that's down to money second day in a row though we've had a real uh, one of the real small teams I suppose even though they're a world tour team they are um a, a minnow in uh, against a lot of the other World Tour teams. Second day in a row after Alps and Fenix that one of those teams has upset the the big guns. Uh, a few. Think, I mean, I think you can already say that we've had well the, the upset today. It's quite unusual for for that to happen in the second stage of the Giro. I think that's symptomatic of the fact that there are so many teams here with GC riders who think that they've got a chance of even not winning the race, finishing in the in the top five. Often now in major tours, teams are pretty realistic about whether they can contend for the victory or not. And, you know, they consequently, they look at other objectives, whether it's sprinters or breakaway riders. Um, I'm talking about the World Tour teams. Whereas in this Giro d'Italia, there are maybe 10 or 12 teams that have come with sort of fully-fledged GC squads. And consequently... They were, were maybe less interested than teams usually would be in in scrapping for a, a stage win on day two. Also, quite a few of the sprinters were either dropped or really struggling. Tim Merlier, who won yesterday, Caleb Ewan, Dylan Grunewagen and Giacomo Nizzolo all uh, struggled today and, and you know wouldn't have had their teams chasing. There were some sprinters up there. I mean... Uh, Fernando Gaviria actually rode pretty well today. He wasn't in the top four in the end. Davide Chimelai won the bunch sprint in the Israel startup nation rider ahead of Peter Sagan and Elia Viviani. Um, I, I also wondered about whether Bora Hansgrohe. I mean, there's a, there's a slight sort of there's a cracks appearing in the relationship between Sagan and his team Bora Hansgrohe, and where they've I'm not suggesting that they weren't fully committed, but there just doesn't seem to be the same cohesion there that there was in that team as a whole all season. They haven't performed as they have done the last couple of years. It's just been something something missing. Well, we saw, we've seen a lot of Peter Sagan's agent, Giovanni Lombardi, here, haven't we? I saw him a couple of days ago, Rich, on Saturday, in fact. And I said, have you sorted out Peter's contract for next year? Do we know where he's going? He said, stay tuned. Um, it could be today. I could be doing the deal today. So the deal could already have been done. And 
tonight after the finish we saw him um, looking quite pleased with himself quite boisterous wasn't he, he was enjoy- his hands he, yeah he was he was enjoying a glass of white wine as we were in Bulgero big and, envelope um, of- yeah <laughs> no, <laughs> who knows he might, been, he might have been celebrating well Taco van der Horn we, you know he's a rider who's been around for a few years 27 now it's his first Grand Tour though he spent a couple of years at Jumbo Visma um, three years ago he had a, a very serious concussion and uh, his career as he said at the finish was hanging by a thread uh, he also didn't have a contract at the end of last year um, but uh, it was signed up by Antermarche who did you know, sign up quite a lot of riders like that um, who were at a bit of a crossroads. Uh, the only real changes, Tobias Foss moved up to second overall. Uh, Philippe Gana held the pink jersey. Merlier is still in the Chiclamena jersey for points leader. And Albanese is still in the King of the Mountains jersey. It could be all changed tomorrow, um, but all about Taco van der Horn today gave a an expletive-ridden interview at the finish. We can't play that on a family podcast. Seems like a bit of a character, doesn't he? He, apparently, a couple of years ago, he was touring or travelling between races in a, a battered-up 36-year-old Volkswagen camper van. Um, a bit of a, a bit of a crazy guy, by all accounts. <laughs> <laughs> and you spoke to his sports director, Valerio Piva, at the finish. I did, Richard. It's not often that happens where the peloton, I suppose we could say, got it wrong, but how did you deceive them how did you make them get it wrong you know if you don't try if you don't go in uh, you are not in the move so I, I tell my guys that this zero we need to try every day we don't have the best sprinter we don't have the best climber we have guys that they have uh, they have the, the character they have the the motivation so we need to move and anticipation anticipation is was the war from from our guys today and the next days so, and that was perfect. We had the good uh, riders in the move. He's a strong rider. We know that he can, he can stay in front and he can ride hard in the final. He did already in the past, and uh, I was confident for sure. This uh, uh, is a dream for for me, uh, for the team, for sure. But that is the answer to everybody that they say we are a small team, and we are a small team. But we. We have the motivation, we, we ride with the art, with, uh, with everything, we try to do everything. The last month we saw a lot of time our jersey in the breakaway and today we are payback. One moment at uh, 8 kilometers was one minute, so I say that that is, is only one bump uh, at 6 kilometers, so that you have a big chance. For sure, 45, 30 seconds, 20 seconds. But then I say the truth, you need to give everything, for sure, for you, for the team, for, for everybody. So it's a big chance in the, in the career of a rider, so I, I, I tell him the truth. And uh, for sure I was hoping that uh, he stay in front, and uh, that was the case, for sure, we are very happy. Okay, we have not the, the big budget, but I think uh, we can compete here. So we have another, we need to, to invite another invite another way to compete and that is the way that we, we decided to do. So we can win the race also with smaller riders and, uh, and that is what we, we try to do and uh, we try to do till the end of the Giro and the season. So uh, for sure, maybe the riders, they feel that we are the smaller, but uh, inside we, I try to motivate the rider and try to, to push the guy that is, everything is possible in the cycling that we saw today. So it's not only the budget, it's not only the big quality, but that is uh, cycling is the heart, is believe in yourself. And that is what I try to give back to the riders. Still gassing and fueling, not sure what or when to eat and drink, on rights that matter, never again. 
Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. We're here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens. Thank you very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. They came on board just before the Giro d'Italia and we're very grateful to them for their support. They're going to be with us for a while and, uh, well, it's a very exciting new product. The only real-time energy management system for athletes uh, already being used by Jumbo Visma, Ineos Grenadiers, Canyon Schramm, Anna van der Breggen and others. We hope they'll be with us for a while. They might start looking for break clauses in the contract when they start hearing how much we talk about wine or have been talking about (laughs) wine. Well, it'll be interesting to... Um, be wearing our Super Sapiens devices uh, while maybe imbibing we are some wine. We, of course, we drink just responsibly. Just, I spit it all out. I don't swallow any of it. Um, anyway, to celebrate their partnership with the Cycling Podcast, Super Sapiens are offering three listeners an extraordinary prize: the chance to win three months' supply of sensors, enabling them to optimize their fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insights, and personalized analytics. All you have to do is send in a persuasive argument as to why Super Sapiens can help you track and fuel your most ambitious cycling-related goal in the coming months. could be anything at all. Um, and ambitious doesn't mean bigger and better and longer or faster. It, it's all relative. And uh, whatever your goal happens to be, um, we want to hear about it. Um, send in uh, by email to contact at thecyclingpodcast.com either an audio recording or a video recording, if you can, um, telling us why Super Sapiens and how Super Sapiens could help you. And we'll uh, we'll hear some of these clips in our episodes during the Giro. So we'll be giving uh, away one prize per week, and it's a, it's a brilliant prize. Um, so we'd love to hear how you could use Super Sapiens to help you achieve your goal. Um, Daniel, we, uh, well, I wouldn't have liked to have been wearing my Super Sapiens device this morning after breakfast. You're not, you don't like sugar, you don't eat sugar, but um, Italian breakfasts do tend to be dominated by sugary things. And we've stayed in a hotel in Turin the last couple of nights. Last night we were in a lovely B&B on the Oro- Europa Climb, um, which is a famous climb in cycling. In fact, we were by the Massimo Girotto uh, kilometre board, and there are, they're all the way up, named after different riders. Um quite odd really the Girotto one but anyway um, it, it, a beautiful spread at breakfast this morning absolutely fantastic all freshly baked I ate as much of it as I could I ate your share uh, but it was a great place and a very a place with, with very strong links to cycling yes, and in fact Rich. the place we were staying that the gentleman well, who, we'll who move, ran we'll, it we'll, yeah. we'll, oh sorry I don't want to spoil that away. let's sorry. not give that away but um, yes it is Rich and the Europa Climb obviously it's one of the sort of mythological locations in in Pantani folklore 1999 Giro we mentioned it last night didn't we where he dropped his chain this was just days before he was kicked out of the 1999 Giro but it was probably I mean it was it was his most outrageous performance if you were a Pantani fan you would say his most magnificent performance if um, you have one of, you were one of those who a few days later was saying I told you so you might say it was it was slightly grotesque but um, on my run this morning yeah I, I did see well the spot where it happened and also this I didn't know um, the monument that has been built to commemorate that spot 
Well, we've been vlogging, haven't we, Rich, over the last few days, slightly reluctantly, um, but we, we're giving it a go. Anyway, I did we're a getting bit, into it, uh, I think. Yeah, we're I getting did, into it now. I did a short... It's only a minute at a time, I, so it's perfectly manageable. I did a short video this morning just showing the monument, showing where the monument was, and in that video, I committed to a rundown this evening of my top 10 Marco Pantani monuments because there are a staggering number of Pantani monuments. I would say he's the mo most monumented rider. Well, I think Eddie Merckx is the most monumented rider in cycling history, but um, literally, in terms of having monuments dedicated to him, it's probably Pantani who holds the record. So there are more than 10, but I've whittled it down to, down to 10 um, completely whimsical grounds for choosing these 10. But first one I'm going to go for, um, the Galibier, 2,301 metres. The spot where he attacked in 1998 into the mist, effectively won that Tour de France just ab above the, the little hamlet known as Plant La Chat, which um, has become a famous location partly because of Pantani. That one's like a, it's a big pane of glass with um, Pantani's image on it. Not too bad. Next one, the, probably the, the one most people will think of in his hometown, Cesenatico, but it's a bit of a, well, it's a cyclist, as most of them are, sculpture of a cyclist on a roundabout. Not my favourite. Um, the next one, recently built, I think probably the most recently built. Um, it's a huge cyclist again. I think it's, well, it's stone or marble. But this one, the scale of it is is enormous and it's on the top of the Monte Campione climb. This gets extra points for me because it's the scene of Pantani's duel or the last act in Pantani's duel with the great Pavel Tonkov in the 1998 Giro. And um, so that's number eight. Number seven is on the Monte Vecchio climb, which is one of Pantani's old training climbs close to Cesenatico. And that gets my sort of hipster vote because it's not a, a climb that's featured in that many major races. Next one, the Mortirolo, um, halfway up there. There is, well, what looks to me, I mean, it's quite a stylish statue or stylish sort of um, design on a wall, but it looks a bit like a man trying to hijack and wrestle a paper aeroplane to earth. But that's quite, that's one of the more fetching ones. The next one, another training climb of Pantani is the Monte Carpegna. This was the climb where he would always sort of go a few days before major tours to test his form, long before Strava, before even, well, Pantani used heart rate monitor. He never did. He said once, it's on the Carpegna that I laid the foundations for my victories. I don't need to go and scout the big climbs before a tour or Giro. I only did that once. I went to look at the Mortirolo and it, that was in the car and it didn't help me much the Carpeña is all I need it's not a great monument it looks a bit like those boards you know those boards you see in central London golf sale um, it's a little bit tacky a little bit gaudy but um, quite quite poignant quite significant on the Colle Fauniera in Piedmont 1999 Pantani took the pink jersey that day that is not a great monument again stone cyclist but it's a, an extraordinary location one of the most beautiful climbs in the Alps um, so we're down to number three there's one there's a giant Pantani marble rich which I think we might see in the coming days and I think you've probably seen it before just off the A14 motorway outside Imola outside the old headquarters of Mercatone Uno 
Pantani's old sponsor. They were supermarkets. They went bust, I think, last year or the year before. And this giant marble, why a marble? Because apparently in the 70s, one of the things kids used to do was play marbles, as, you know, kids everywhere did. But in Italy, they would play marbles. And the marbles had the, the images of professional cyclists, the likes of Merckx, Gimondi, and that generation. And it would... Someone thought it would be a good idea to recreate this and build a giant marble with Pantani's image wow. in here. So we'll look out for that. But there's a whole kind of custody battle going on still 20 years later about the giant marble as we speak. We'll get to the bottom of that in the next few days. Another one in Saturnia, another training climb. Saturnia is a beautiful little spa town in Tuscany. Pantani bought a house there and used to train there with Max Lely. And um, yeah, it's at the top of a climb called Poggio Morella. But Rich, we we have arrived at number one. Number one is the one I saw today on Europa. I thought it was the most beautiful one I'd seen. It's cut, It was like a, a sort of Medusa. Medusa. How, how convenient. Well, yeah, how convenient. <laughs> um, a sort of bronze Medusa. Medusa, not the, the, the sort of sea creature, but the mythological, um, not goddess, but sort of a, more of a witch, more of an evil um figure in Greek mythology, wasn't she, with snakes for hair. Um, the Europa, the, the exploit, that performance, uh, I, I went back and just refreshed my memory about that today, and there was a great quote, or there was a great um, little comment piece that Candido Canavo, the editor of the Gazzetta dello Sport, wrote about it next day. He said, old reporters, men who have witnessed half a century of races, swear that in eight kilometers Pantani climbed not just a mountain, but the imaginary league table of modern cycling epics. The people of cycling will talk about it for years. The ones who trudged up the slope will say with solemn pride, I was there. And Rich, we were there this morning on that spot. And... We found out over breakfast that this monument was the brainchild of the owner of our bed and breakfast, breakfast, Filippo. And he explained how it all came about to me this morning. Uh, my name is uh, Filippo Vaglio Tessitore and I live in Biella. Ah, uh, I'm, uh, I have a B&B in, uh, here in Biella, uh, in the street for uh, Europa. I lived right opposite where it happened for 15 years. So I got together with an artist from Biella, Paolo Barrichello, and wanted to do something that really immortalized a moment that was huge and unforgettable for the town of Biella. So we're walking now towards the monument. We're going to have a look at the miniature version. I've been at the, the bigger version further up the road where the event, where the moment actually occurred. So yes, this is a miniature replica that I have in my garden. You can see it's made up of 21 wings or threads, each of them signed by someone who helped fund the monument or make it possible, and by Pantani's parents. There are monuments of Pantani all over Italy and in other places, and almost all of them are in the form of a cyclist. We didn't want to do that. We wanted something that conveyed the feelings you get being on a bike, and of that day. You can see the bandana is sort of fluttering towards the Santuario di Europa, and the top of the climb. It's so gratifying that every time I go past, pretty much someone's there taking a picture or paying their respects. The moment gave this place something indescribable. Now, because of it, we've become a place of pilgrimage for people from absolutely everywhere. Veramente ha dato un'importanza alla alla nostra salita più emblematica, indescrivibile. The Cycling Podcast at Our Giro d'Italia is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fuel by Science.
Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport, our longtime sponsor and supporter. Um, if you want 25% off all your Science and Sport products, go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25. And every week at the Giro, we're running a competition to win a, a bundle of Science and Sport goodies worth £80. Uh, guess the winner, predict the winner on each of the Sundays. So we've had one already. Um, we had a winner yesterday. Uh, we'll have another one this Sunday. Guess the winner of Sunday's stage and uh, uh, all you have to do to enter is go to our website thecyclingpodcast.com and you can uh, put in your predicted winner well Jonathan Meads has left us and been joined again by Daniel Freib not just wine tasting notes but but art criticism on the podcast this year have you got any monuments dedicated to you Rich in Scotland maybe I haven't got any maybe at the service station in Hart Hill (laughs) part of Scotland I'm very familiar with I'll tell you what like not not a I giant marble. I don't want a giant marble. I don't want to offend anyone who might live in Hart Hill or indeed who whose family hail from Hart Hill, as yours do, Daniel. But we're talking it monuments. Would be a pretty bleak spot for a, a memorial. I can imagine. I can imagine talking monuments and talking about sort of immortalising former sporting greats. Tomorrow we're going to Sestola, and in Sestola there's a museum to a famous. Italian sporting luminary. Who might that be, do you think? In where? Sestola. Oh, God, I don't know. It's Alberto Tomba. Oh, La Tomba. Bomba. Well, we saw him, didn't we, a couple of years ago in yes. Bologna at the start yes, of the Giro? Yes, we did. Um, he's from that neck of the woods, but he used to ski in Sestola as a kid because, um, well, being Tuscan, um, he was a long way from the Alps and the Dolomites, and I think that was the closest resort to where he grew up. And Tomba, of course, was the, the kind of Mario Cipollini. He was Cipollini, wasn't he? he? Was on the Chip- skis. Yeah, of, on skis. of Italian skiing, very charismatic, um, sort of a good-looking chap, wasn't he? Um, possibly not the... Possibly not, but, <laughs> no, but of, of his of his time. He was of his time. Yes, yes, he was. He wouldn't, he wouldn't last long in today today's world um but daniel what we expected tomorrow i mean uh this is sort of typical uh, uh, first week giro stage it, it's quite hard um and it's got quite a lot of climbing it's a stage of two halves all the climbing comes in the second half and uh, the final climb the Colli uh, passerino um is pretty tough it's not a mountaintop finish as such because it go over the top and then it's it's, it's a short descent and it's kind of undulating uh, to the finish, but I mean, the climb just, itself is hard, isn't it? Yeah, and just over three thousand meters of climbing in. Well, the stage is one hundred and eighty-seven kilometers, but most of the climbing, in fact, all of the climbing, really is in the second half of the stage. So that is is possibly harder than it looks on paper, or people might imagine. It might take a few guys by surprise of course last time we went there i think it was in 2016 that was the big sort of revelation of giulio ciccone then riding for the bardiani team now he's riding for trek and of course he attacked today so he's he's looking pretty sprightly um will he have the freedom to try something tomorrow he probably will won't he because i don't think trek really believe that, well, Vincenzo Nibali is one of the favourites for this Giro. Um, I think Ciccone is going to be able to at least go for stage win. So he would be probably quite a good bet for tomorrow. But I think Remco Evenepoel has got his eyes on the pink jersey, hasn't he? He has. We'll get on to that in a moment. You mentioning the shark, uh, Vincenzo Nibali, um, brings to mind a, a bit of a running theme from this Giro that we haven't shared yet, but the the issue of the Jumbo Visma hotels. Um, because... Uh, they were left the the Giro early last year, and RCS were not happy at all. So, 
been wondering aloud what kind of hotels they'd be put in this year. They, they started off with a very good... I'm going to try and make this a regular feature. They started off in a very nice hotel in Torino, apparently. Um, but I was searching Richard, some pictures. Let's try not to get our accreditations taken away last night of before their the first hotel, rest day. Their hotel last night. Well, the restaurant had a, a picture of a what looked like a dolphin, not a shark. It was very unappetizing looking. It wasn't a very nice looking hotel. So. But I heard the mattresses were absolutely fine. So. <laughs> <laughs> was it their own mattresses? I, I anyway, um, on with uh, looking ahead to tomorrow. Yes, we think... Uh, Remco Evenepoel, well, Matt White's suspicion was that he, him going for bonus seconds yesterday, uh, part of a strategy to get a pink jersey early doors, and he's certainly got a chance, hasn't he? Although, Filippo Ganna, um, it was, I think, the Wednesday stage last year that, where he took off in the climbs and uh, ended up uh, winning the stage, having also won the first stage. Um, spoke to Matt White at the finish. He had lots to say about the gravel road stage next week in particular, but we spoke to him about what we can, what we might expect tomorrow. Um, Matt, I mean, opening few days, how's it gone? I mean, you're obviously here for Simon. Um, he came into this race in terrific form, clearly. How, how is he? Good. Uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a uh, time of laying low, staying out of trouble, and uh, we're going to see, we're going to see tomorrow how the uh, the real GC guys are faring and. Where, yeah, Simon's coming here with good form and uh, we'll see uh, tomorrow where he stands against uh, the other guys. Well, what I was going to ask about tomorrow, what, what do you expect tomorrow? It's, it's, a, it's a pretty tough stage. Do you think it's going to draw out the, the real GC riders or be quite a cagey day? I think it'll be a cagey day. I'd expect Evan Poole to go after the jersey uh, tomorrow. Uh, I think he made his intentions pretty clear going after the time bonuses yesterday. And uh, also... With that team, you know, who is leading that team? Maybe there's one guy leading it short term, one guy leading it uh, for the rest of the race. But uh, I think Evan Poole's made his intentions clear. I wouldn't be surprised him going for bonuses and trying to take that jersey. Well, Matt White thinks that Remco Evenepoel will take the pink jersey tomorrow. What does Evenepoel's declining quick-step teammate James Knox think? He, of course, is keeping an audio diary for us. Let's hear from him now. At the hotel now after... Uh... A hard day to get into it. Uh, what felt like the first proper day of this Giro d'Italia for me, anyway. Um, we've also had a PCR test done or some sort of COVID test done. Could have been a rapid one, actually. I think uh, for an extra little bonus for the day after a two, three hours in the car or in the bus. Sorry, we're in uh, Cremona now. But yeah, today was a bit of a mixed bag. We rolled out with uh, rain and cold in Biella. I think that's I think that's where we started. Um, the foot of the mountains, but thankfully it cleared up. Uh, took off all the wet weather gear, and then yeah, we sort of ripped up into. I think it was around like Barolo, the hills there, the the, the wine region, and uh, yeah, some pretty hard little climbs. Um, yeah, kind of felt a bit shit if I'm being honest. I think uh, it was a bit cold at the start, then it felt pretty humid at the finish. I was pretty uh, sweating, suffering. Um, felt a bit blocked, but anyway, got through it. Uh, stayed with the boys. Tried to keep. Uh, Jean Renko in the front there, and yeah, the the guy from the breakaway took a really nice victory. So yeah, not a whole lot to report on from my uh, from my side of things. Pretty straightforward day in the end. Um, just yeah, I guess the sprinters teams will be a little bit frustrated they didn't catch the break. And other than that, yeah, everyone else just battling around. And tomorrow a bit more tricky. Again, forecasting a lot of rain. Um, and also, yeah, what looks like a pretty hard climb towards the finish there. We've got Joao and Remco and uh, Remy, still three guys in the top five. So, yeah, I mean, I think there could be uh, 
could be a good chance that people are going to be looking at us tomorrow as well to maybe take control or, you know, at least, yeah, certainly expecting us to do something. So, yeah, also curious to see what the tactics are and you know, how we'll manage because, yeah, other than that, it looks like a pretty miserable day. And maybe no one wants to do anything, maybe another good day for the breakaway. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. We better go and eat, Daniel. I think they're ready for us we inside. Should. We were supposed to, and in fact, why not? Let's do it. We will announce, we're going to reveal our second direst signing. It's the Swiss rider, Gino Maida. Actually, breaking news, Daniel, it's not. I'm afraid it's been snatched from him by Primoz Roglic. <laughs> Roglic has uh, decided he's going to do his, the Giro Diary instead. Gino Maida, the Bahrain victorious rider, who, of course, wasn't victorious in a... Well, it was the penultimate stage of Paris. Um, he'd been on the attack and looked very much as though he was going to take a famous victory and was pipped on the line by uh, a Primus merciless Roglic. Primus Roglic. He was roglified. Anyway, let's leave it. Let's go and eat. Um, thank you very much, Daniel, for this evening. We'll convene again tomorrow. Thank you, Richard. And just a quick um, shout out for Kilometer Zero. We mentioned it already. It's on Giuseppe Aquadro, the, the super agent. A great listen. I listened to it in the car on the way here tonight. Um, somebody that we know a lot about but we've probably never heard speaking so it's fascinating to hear hear him and hear his story but that's on the normal feed um, the first episode of Kilometer Zero off we go